try to do it the retro way. No microphone. All right, good to see you today. You know what? Uh, what a great worship set. What a great, what a great, um, you know, you were, you were created by God to respond to his spirit. And when his spirit is moving, whether it's in the word or whether it's in worship, your spirit is activated. And you see, you have to have your spirit man activated, not just your mind, your will, and your emotions. So music that is good music apart from the spirit of God, it moves your mind, your will, and your emotions. But it can never move your spirit man. And when your spirit man is moved, then all of a sudden it activates uh, the fullness of who you were designed to be by God. You see, so when God created you, he created you in such a way that you would have the stamp, the mark of his image. Created his image, and when you are properly aligned, what you find is the fullness of who you are as a human being. So today we're going to talk about um, some really interesting things that have to do with uh, the way God's created you and, and heaven. We're on this series in, on heaven, and today we're going to talk about heavenly places. But uh, I, I was always captured by this comment that Jesus made in John chapter 3. Let me, let me just read this to you, and you can begin to process it, because it's going to be the, really the, the foundation of what we're going to talk about today. Jesus said, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So you notice what Jesus did. He divided, really, all of that he was teaching them into two things. Number one, the earthly things. And then secondly, the heavenly things. And he wanted them to understand there's a difference, and you have to cross over from the earthly into the heavenly in order to really grasp what's happening. So when you read the Bible, what it does, it's written on two levels. It's written on first an earthly level. They're going to tell you things like about bread, about water, say, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what he's doing, he's taking something that's familiar, earthly, he's transferring it into the divine or into the spiritual, into the heavenly, so that you can start to understand. Jesus said, I am the manna come from heaven. I am the bread from heaven. He who eats this will live. I am water, you know about water, but I am living water, and living water you'll never thirst again. So he wants you to understand this dimension right here. So he tells us here, he said, if I've told you earthly things, and you find that hard to comprehend or to buy into, to understand or to believe, then what are you going to do when I take you to another level of the spiritual or the heavenly? So today we're going to talk a little bit about that because it's really important for us to understand uh, how to see things from God's perspective. So I'm, I decided that I would show you my great ability here in art. That's supposed to be an eyeball. Look like an eyeball? How many of you think it kind of, kind of an eyeball look? Okay, when, what happens is that light enters into your eye, and what makes you unique is that your eye has the capacity to take uh, that light in and that colors in, and it, it breaks everything down into three colors, the three primary colors. It's really interesting. Now, for example, just to show you the difference, uh, in the animal world, for example, if you have a dog or a cat, they don't see in color. Their eye only has two of these cells or cones inside their eye, so they are not given the capacity to see in color because they're not created in the image of God. So, uh, 
a week ago, we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about the number three and how significant that is when you begin to study the Word of God. So we're going to just capitalize on that. First of all, when light comes in, there are three primary colors. Every color is made from those three primary colors. When, they, when that light comes in, that color spectrum comes into your eye, it breaks it all down into three, those three cells, and then you understand color. All the different spectrums of color are understood through that whole process. So three is very significant when we begin to study. So let me give you an example. If we go back, and I'm going to give you some examples of three because I want you to see how God's hand is on that. If we go back and we look at Noah's Ark, and if you study that, you can understand something about it. It actually has three floors in the ark. Because the ark is a picture of the universe. Um, we talked about three heavens, and we said that if there, here's earth, there's the atmosphere around it, there's the stars, and then there's the heaven of heavens where God dwells. So when you look at the ark, it's actually a picture of the universe. And a lot of people kind of think the ark looks like what you see in children's books, where you've got you know, eight port windows, you've got giraffes sticking their heads out, and everybody's kind of having a cool time. But actually, the ark only has one window, and it's on the top because it's the window of heaven. You see, it's a picture of the universe. The ark is a picture of the universe. You've got three floors. You've got first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. Then you've got an open window up above. Now, God did that on purpose because he was trying to teach them something about and teach us through the word something about how God works in this world. Then if we go to the tabernacle and later would become the temple, you had three components that were involved in that. You had the outer court, you had the inner court, and you had the holy of holies. So what would happen is you would enter into that outer court and then as you had greater entrance or depth of understanding, you could go into the inner court, but then only, only you could go into the Holy of Holies, into that holy place, one day a year on the Day of Atonement. So what I want you to understand is when you begin to process truth, you start on the outer court. You look at things and they're physical, they kind of make sense, and then as, as you begin to seek God, you move into that inner court. And now your understanding gets deeper, but then as you go deeper still, you go into the Holy of Holies, and now you understand something about the depths of God you could not understand in the outer court or in that inner court, because now you've entered into the Holy of Holies. It's that moment of revelation that comes when you're reading your Bible, and all of a sudden you see something, or you'll say something like this, you know, you can't believe what I found in the Bible as though it did not exist before you read it. But what you're really saying is, what you're expressing is, revelation from God has now come to you and you've entered into that holy of holy place where God reveals secrets and truth to you because you've taken the time, you've had the desire, and you've pushed into the things of God. So all of life is like that. Man, when God created man, he created you body, soul, and spirit. So this outer body here is what's called the outer court. It's equivalent to that. My soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. That's the inner court. And then my spirit man is the holy of holies. So what happens is I receive information through my five senses. I translate that into my inner court, into my soulish man, and then it goes into the holy of holies, into my spirit man. So everything is all aligned together. God works this out in such a beautiful way. When God wanted to tell you something about signs in the heaven, Genesis 1.14, it says he created the sun, the moon, and the stars also. 
So he said, you can look at those three heavenly uh, bodies up there, and you can understand something about creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Isn't it interesting? Again, it's three. When God revealed himself to you, he revealed himself to you in a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is that outer manifestation, if you will. He's in the body. That's like the outer court. Okay, then you move into the Holy Spirit, that's like the inner court, and then you go into the throne room of the Father, and that's the Holy of Holies. So each member of each person within that Godhead represent that, that trichotomy, that, that trinity of God. When, when God wants you to understand something about, about time, he created time in past, in present, and future. So time is really for man. It's not for God. God dwells in the eternal now. There's no past, no present with God. That's why he reveals himself as the I am. I am always present. That's why when you get to heaven, there's no time lapse there. So have you ever noticed that sometimes when you enter into a prayer time, and I mean, you're not in your outer court or the inner court, but you're in the throne room, time seems to disappear. Because all of a sudden you lose an awareness of time. You're not conscious of it. If you come into a worship service, and this is what happens, you'll come in and you're still in the outer court. You're kind of like thinking about food. You're thinking about what you got to do. You're thinking about the fight you had. You're thinking about the bills you have. All those things, and all of a sudden the music starts, and maybe it's by the second or third song you start to move into the inner court. Now you start to kind of appreciate what's going on. You kind of start to get into it. And then it happens without notice. All of a sudden, you move your, you're moved into that holy of holies or into that, that holy place with God. And you go, wow, this is really good. And now everything you thought about when you came in here seems secondary because now you're consumed with the very presence of God. That's how God designed you. God wanted you to understand that. And you have to function in both those worlds, undoubtedly. When, when scientists study, they, they tell us something about the kingdoms of this earth in terms of the, the physical kingdoms, and they tell us that there's a mineral, vegetable, and an animal kingdom. Isn't it interesting? There's three kingdoms. Because God, again, is reinforcing his design on planet earth. Jesus raised three people from the dead, not two, not four, but three. Isn't that interesting? He was crucified on the third day. Isn't that interesting? You see, God is consumed with this because he's, he's trying to put the imprint of who he is in the world so that you see him in everything you do. So as we begin to go a little bit deeper, we, we begin to understand that the greatest commandment, he said, they said, what's the greatest commandment? And we have the 10 commandments of the Old Testament. But remember, he said, well, everything can be reduced down to love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Three. Fascinating, fascinating what God does when he begins to put these things together. Now, let's just take, think about knowledge because knowledge, if we're going to get the wisdom of God, and we're going to look at this word in just a moment in the message, it's called the manifold wisdom of God. This word is only used, this word wisdom or manifold is only used one time in Scripture, and it literally means multicolored. Now, remember, there's only three colors. So when it talks about the multicolored or multifaceted, multifold, manifold wisdom of God, it's saying everything of God's wisdom can be reduced down to three. So watch this. In the book of Proverbs, it says that there is knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. You start with knowledge. That's just gathering facts. If you want some knowledge on something, you go to Google, you type in something, and it gives you 49 million pages 
of information. Knowledge is easy to get. It's never been easier to get than it is today. The problem is, what do I do with it? So then I move from knowledge, I move into understanding. That's a separation and arrangement of facts. So I have to be able to take all this information, sort it out in some kind of a way, and then I can move into wisdom. Wisdom is the application of understanding to my situation. So God says, when you want to understand something about the manifold wisdom of God, you start with knowledge, understanding, and then you gain wisdom so that you know how to live your life. The other thing as we begin to think about this is that the earthly things, they point to the heavenly things, and the abundance uh, life or the abundance of the kingdom is only discovered by faith. You can't understand the things of God. The kingdom realm can only be understood by faith. I can't enter into understanding what we're talking about here because I'm smart. I don't enter into this because I have a great working knowledge of the Bible. I enter into it by faith. Faith is the great uh, op- uh, door opener in the, in the realm of God. So the, the realm of the kingdom is opened by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because those who come to God must believe that he is, and here's the second part, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is that tool that God wants to bring into our life. The other thing that's really interesting about light, and I just want to uh, explain this to you, that, that color in light, when all the colors of the spectrum are joined together uh, in light, it becomes white, So we take all these colors of the spectrum, we bring them down, and light becomes pure white. When I take all the colors out of light, it becomes black. You see, the darkness, the separation from God is the absence of light. God is light. You see how that works? God is pointing you in a million different ways to the same truth. The Bible is such a genius of a book because it's by divine inspiration, but it really only is telling you one thing, and that's the way to get to God and understand him in his depth. It just has millions of pages and words to tell you how to do it. Because we don't all relate to the same stories and the same messages in exactly the same way at the same time, and God doesn't put his precious nuggets on the surface. He wants you to dig deep because in digging deep, you prove that you want him. And that's how God designs the kingdom. Now, that's to set up the message. Now we're going to get into the message. The great truth that we teach here is that God wants us to bring the truth, the power, and the presence of heaven on earth. And when we experience that, we know that, don't we? When we get around someone who's been especially close to God, we, we kind of have an awareness that maybe we're not as close as they are or, wow, they've really got something happening there. Or you, you, you get into a moment and you say, wow, that, that feels different than it does at any other time. Well, that's part of heaven on earth. So let's just take a look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. When the disciples said, teach us how to pray, this is one of the things he said. He said, begin like this, our Father, which art in heaven. So God identified himself. He said, I am in the holy of holies. I am in the the holy of holies. I'm also in the inner court. I'm also in the outer court. But I want you to know my dwelling place is in the heaven of heavens. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He said, I want you to know that my name is different. The reason we don't use God's name in vain is because God is holy. Holy. 
See, it really doesn't have to do with culture. It really doesn't have to do with, with anything other than just really recognizing if God is holy, then why would you call him unholy? doesn't make sense. And so it's very practical. So our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come when we want it now. Amen? We want his kingdom. We want the evidence of his kingdom here and now. Thy kingdom come. Thy will, not mine, but thy will be done here on earth as it is right now happening in heaven. And that's how the Greek construction of this word is. When Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke with authority and confidence. He never kind of said, you know, I think this might work, give it a shot. Or I tried it and it worked for me a couple of times. No, he always spoke with confidence and, and power and he wants us to do the same thing. When we pray, we don't pray, you know, kind of like, well, I hope it works out or it didn't work last time, but I'm going to give it a better shot this time. You know, I can't afford to let doubt come into my life, especially in my prayer life. Because it, it eats away at me like gangrene. It just begins to consume me. And I go, oh, yeah, you're right. That didn't work. And so now all of a sudden, my because I am, I am so weak as a human that I can get sucked into that black hole of doubt before I even know it. What God wants me to do is just launch myself greater, greater faith. You say, well, it doesn't make sense. When it doesn't make sense in the earthly, it makes complete sense in the heavenly. You see, what is foolish, what is foolish over here is normal over here. What is irrational over here is rational over here. They came to Jesus, Lazarus was dead, and they said, come quickly, and he delayed going. He wanted to make sure he was dead long enough that no one would think he was just sleeping. And they said to him when he got there, they said, Jesus, if only you'd been here earlier, Lazarus would have lived. He was sick, but now he's dead. He said his sickness is not unto death. She said, do you believe your brother will live? Oh, yes, in the resurrection I believe he will live. Watch what Jesus does. That's future tense, right? In the resurrection, I believe he will live. Here's what Jesus does. He pushes it back into present tense. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am God. I don't live in time. I live in now. See, God, the eternal God, is always now present tense. When you live your life in the past, you miss out on the present. When you are too future-oriented, you miss out on the present. God says, understand the present. Don't I take care of everything in your present? You're worried about tomorrow. Why don't you t focus on today, see what I can do for you today? Tomorrow will take care of itself, and I'll be there tomorrow, but let's, con let's concentrate on this. Don't you know that all the lilies of the field are arrayed in all their glory? Not even Solomon is arrayed in such glory as the fields. What about the birds of the air? Do they, they don't have to feed themselves. I take care of them. Aren't you worth more than all of that? You need to up the value of who you are from my perspective. You see yourself too much like you see yourself or like you think others see you. If you only knew how I saw you, I never see you as someone who's failed, who's a sinner, who's broken, who's, who's defeated. I never see you. God never, never, never sees you like that. He says, I see you as my son and my daughter, created in my image, an ambassador for me, a royal diadem in my hand. That's how God sees you. When you start seeing you like he sees you, you'll start living like he wants you to live. 
You see, it's all about perspective. I have to see things from God's perspective. You see, you are heaven's delegated authority on earth. Guess what God's plan for planet earth is? You. It's you. What will you do with it? You see, when slavery was, was running rampant across our world a couple of hundred years ago, it wasn't that God was unwilling to do something. God said, no, you created the problem. Now I gave you the capacity to fix it. When you see man as I see man, you will free every person of every slavery, of every bondage, of every problem, of every difficulty you've ever seen because I am the God of freedom. Pollution, you say, well, what about pollution? Why doesn't God do something? He does. He tells you to pick it up. Don't be stupid. I mean, God just created you as an image bearer. He wants you to act responsibly in everything that you do. When Jesus died on the cross, he canceled all of our claims, all of our rights, and Satan's claim over us uh, in sin. You see, when he died, it says he made a public display of all the principalities and powers and of Satan himself. He made a public display. He made a laughingstock of Satan saying, you don't have them. I have them. And when you stop exercising your rights in life, then you can understand how to do the will of God, which is what he said. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not your will. My will is not, is not good. His will is always good. So as we begin to look at it, I want you to, I want you to think about how God works. What God does is he, he shapes the world around you through you. You become an influencer of the world. And he shapes the world through you. So the world around you, you become an influencer in your own right for the kingdom of God. You say, well, I'm not much. There you go again, stinking thinking. You got to lift yourself up out of that and say, how does God see me? And when you start to do that, you go, yes, I can influence people for the kingdom of God, and I can do a good job at that. Uh, as we begin to, to kind of work through this, uh, I want you to, to, to just see this quote from Paul Bilheimer. He said this, that heaven holds the key by which decisions governing earthly affairs are made but we hold the key by which these decisions are implemented. We're responsible and we're capable. Have you ever, you ever had something happen and you just said, you know, it just made you mad enough to get it done? You ever had that happen? Well, I'll show you. You ever had that happen? I'll just show you. I remember one time I was in fifth grade and, and it was a race and I was like the slowest kid in the class, probably because I was carrying an extra 200 pounds or something, I don't know what. But anyway, I was the slowest kid in the class and, and they, had, they were going to have this 50-yard dash run and I got out there and I was lined up against all the speedy guys in the class, you know, and they, were all, they knew I was going to be last. I don't know whether I jumped the gun and nobody noticed where the God gave me lightning fast speed in that moment, but I took off like a rabbit. I mean, I was, I, I won. Well, they all wanted a rematch, but I was smarter than them. There will be no rematch. I don't know what happened, but I think I just got mad enough. I finally just reached down deep and pulled all that speed out of me. It's in there. I've just hung a lot of weight on it. That's the only problem, amen? Yeah, you can relate to that. All right, 
the, the heavenlies are the sphere of God's activity. When we, when we talk about the heavenlies, remember there's an earthly, and we talked about how there's this atmosphere around the earth, and there's this, then there's the planets out here, and then we talked about this third heaven where God is. Well, I want you to think about the heavenlies as the distance, if we could put it in space, all right, it would be the distance between this and this. So somehow there is a spiritual realm where angels and demons exist and they function. And sometimes they get your attention for good and for evil. Well, that's where the real battle comes. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Whenever you get in a conflict, the conflict is really not ultimately the, the human being that you're in conflict with. It's really there's a demonic force that you're either giving credit to or you're, you're behaving like or they're influencing you to do something or say something you probably shouldn't. So it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities. Now, the word in the Greek literally translates out the strategists. The principalities are the strategists in the demonic world that, are, that know more about you than you know about you. They know how to get you to trip up quicker than anything else. Then we also are against powers, and this is a, is a word that has to do with authority. So there are the strategists, and there are the authorities that are operating there, and so they get the strategy from the principality, and they say, okay, now, now let's go ahead and begin to act here in terms with authority against the rulers, and these are the chief princes. So you see within the angelic world and within the demonic world, there's a whole strata of, of hierarchy, if you will, of beings that are functioning there, uh, and they're functioning against you. See, they've been watching you your whole life. They've been watching your relatives their whole life, their relatives, and they say, you know what, in that family, this is the weakness. When you have that moment when you wake up one day and you go, I'm doing the same stupid stuff my dad did, my granddad did, my great-granddad did, because why did I do that? Is it just because is it genetic? Is it I just made a mistake? What's going on here? Well, it's twofold. One is there's a, there's a pattern, if you will, that's woven into who you are, but there's also forces that are playing to your weaknesses because they know those are family traits and weaknesses and generational sins. You have to be smarter than that. You have to be able to identify that and move on. It says also of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness, and here it is, in heavenly places. So all around you right now there's, there's warfare going on. There are angels that are warring on your behalf, and there are demons that are warring against you. And guess who's going to decide who wins? You are. They have no power except that which you give them. When you say, I'm stupid, they go, I got him. I always goof up, I've got him. Nobody likes me, I've got her. I'm not beautiful, I've got them. Interesting, isn't it? We judge everything out here, our success out here, and God says, no, judge it over here. Judge it over here. Angels and demons both abide in heavenly places. So you've got this conflict that's both happening there, and both have access to God. So there's access to God in both realms, and both interact with men, both angels and demons. But demonic forces only have authority and power when we yield to them 
on earth. When you yield, then they, guess what? They say, I'll take that. I'll take that power because Jesus said, all power and authority is given unto me on heaven and on earth, and I give that to you. All power, that, is, that means Satan has no power except that which we yield to him in our disobedience. Mark to Jesus put it like this. He said, um, an evil spirit has no expression in the physical dimension unless there's agreement in a human being. They are constantly battling to gain access to humanity's belief system, seeking to overthrow God's way in the lives of anyone who will listen. Now let me show you the really neat thing. Faith grants us access to heaven's resources. You ever felt just like, I don't even know where to go with this. How do I get victory? Why do I, why do I, you ever had this one? Why do I keep doing the same stupid thing? Anybody ever said that one? Like only 7 billion people on planet earth, that's only people have said that. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. We're going to go back and look at this word manifold now, okay? Now it says here, now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. So who's going to make this wisdom known here? The church is. It's your job and my job. It's not God's job. It's your job and my job to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Remember, manifold has to do with color. Three colors, all light when merged together becomes white, becomes pure, becomes the truth of God. To the, but look to who? I mean to lost people. Do we tell lot? No, look what it says. To the principalities and powers. Where? In heavenly places. Your job and my job is to let these forces know some information about the wisdom of God. Why would we do that? Well, there's some really good reasons to do that, and we're going to get to those in just a moment, but one of the reasons is we want them to know that we know who we are. Do you know who you are? Oh, I don't mean your name, your social security number, and your address. Do you know who you are? When you know who you are, then you never try to be who you are not. You realize that you're uniquely designed by God for a purpose, and you have abilities nobody else has. You have capacity nobody else has. You have, you have connections nobody else has. You are totally unique and totally one of a kind designed by God for a purpose. It says here, we are to make known in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose, look what it says, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, we have boldness and access, we move from here into here with boldness and access into the very throne room of the king, because you see the spirit realm is watching. What are they going to do with that? What are you going to do with that information? What are you going to do with what I just told you? And we are to remind them of their defeat. I just put the spirit world on notice. You are defeated. And then remind them of our victory. I'm already victorious. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and cause you to stand upright in that day, the one and true God, Jude verse 25, you see, God is able to keep you from stumbling. He said, well, I messed up again, so get up. There's a novel thought. Well, I messed up so many times, what's the use? Stupid thought. Your words are either life or they're death. What's coming out of your mouth? 
If death comes out of your mouth and says, I always mess up, what good does it do to even try, then that's death, and death will have its consequences in your life. If you speak and say, you know what, I messed up, but that's not the end. I might have made a mistake, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a mistake. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to move forward in whatever I have because guess what? God always dwells in the present, not the past, not in the future. So in the present, God says, I see you under the blood of Christ. Well, what about that, God? I don't know what you're talking about. That's already been erased. That's already been washed away. You're clean in my eyes. I, uh, for the last uh, month or two, we've, we've been praying really hard and, and fasting for two individuals in particular in our church, and one was Guy, we gave you a, a brief report uh, last week, and the other was, was Noah, and I got a, I got a text from um, his wife, and I, and I just wanted to give this to you. Um, here's what she said. She said, uh, praise God, we got an amazing news, a miracle. Noah's bone marrow results came back. No leukemia, cancer cells, glory be to God. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me help you understand something about how healing works in the kingdom. Um, what I've discovered over the years is that oftentimes when we get a decent report or a good report on someone, we stop praying. And that's the biggest mistake we can make. What you have to do is you have to learn how to pray through and into the future of that person's health. So what you do, if you say, okay, I got that prayer, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you lighten your prayer. It means you increases your prayer. So you keep, you say, well, I'm going to pray even more now for Noah. I'm going to pray even more for Guy because we've seen progress here. That doesn't make the enemy happy. What I want to do is I want to see complete victory. Once that person is given a complete bill of health, you keep praying. You see, one of the great principles in the kingdom is Persistence. It's a kingdom principle that Jesus said many, many times. He said, when you pray, you, you, you ask and you seek and you knock. And the Greek in that is you keep on asking, you keep on seeking, you keep on knocking. When do I stop asking? It's continual. You just keep asking. When do I keep seeking? You keep seeking. When do I keep not? No, you never stop. That's why the Bible says that your prayers are to be ongoing, continuous, all the time, lifestyle part of you. I'm just, man, I'm just throwing prayers out all the time, praying, praying, praying. And my spirit man is able to pray even when I'm talking. My spirit man can pray about one thing when I'm talking about something else. Do you ever think about that? I just start the spirit man up. I said, pray. I'm just praying for these people up here. And all of a sudden, my spirit man is working right now, communicating with God with words I can't even understand while I'm talking to you. You want to, you want to talk about multitasking? In the kingdom, you can do that really easily. And that's how God designed you. God designed you with that capacity. You see, one of the things that God has for us is we have freedom from our past. Freedom from your past, is that good news or what? Freedom from your past. Stop looking where you have been and start looking where you can be. We have freedom. We have freedom in our present as well. I hear people say sometimes, well, I just feel like I'm so far from God or God's not listening to me. Let me just put it this way. The evidence of God's presence far outweighs the proof of his absence. Do you ever think about the fact that you're alive today is proof that he has a plan for you? Why am I still here? I mean, think about some of the knucklehead things an 18-year-old boy does. They should all be dead probably, right? 
I mean, I look back, I did crazy stuff. Well, God said, no, I have a purpose for you. One time I was sitting in the back of my Jeep, my buddy was driving it, and he wasn't a very good driver, and my other friend was in the front seat, and I'm sitting in the back. We're going down Havana in Denver. We're going 50 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, he turns the Jeep really hard to the left, and those Jeeps, they weren't very stable in those days, and it starts to go up on two wheels, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not seatbelting, I'm thinking to myself, this is no place to be in a rolling car without a seatbelt. So I jump out of the car at 50 miles an hour. It seemed right at the time. I jump out of the, the back of this, this Jeep at 50 miles an hour, the top's off of it, and the Jeep rolls over, goes upside down. There's two jerry cans of gas on the back. They're leaking all over Havana, and all of a sudden, there's a great big power truck. It sk literally skids to a stop. I reached up, and I could touch the tire. God had a reason for me. I wasn't hurt at all. No sprains, no scrapes, no broken bones. I walked away and I go, I, I, guess, I guess, God, you got something for me. You ever think about that? See, God has a plan. But God also, God also is, is really concerned about your future as well. Your future, you see, your future is about whom you choose to believe about you. Who are you going to believe about you? You know, what I found is that patience is a great revealer of deception. When the devil's deceiving you, if you'll just wait and w trust in God, he'll reveal the deception. Just be patient. God is patient, right? We're impatient. We want God to do everything now. Here's our prayer. Our prayer is the kingdom of God comes now. During this message, there was something that your spirit man just kind of, you kind of heard and you go, wow, that, I need to do that, or I need to forgive myself, or I need to speak life over, or you're praying about a health issue, or a loved one, or something's going on in you. Uh, we're going to sing this song, um, Kingdom Come. I'm going to have uh, Matt come and sing this. And as he does, I want you to stand. This is just kind of a ministry time for you to take what God has spoken to you and begin to just apply it in your life, okay? So God just, as, it, as the kingdom comes, just say, God, kingdom come in my life in this situation, and then just declare the, the, the situation and say, God, take that. God, take that. Whatever it is, God, take that. You can bow your heads, you can close your eyes, you can kneel, you can sit, whatever you feel comfortable with. But right now, this is about you and the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God coming in your situation. Amen.